Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, 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 happy Tuesday. Welcome to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast, one of the first episodes of 2021. You guys, 2020, what a year, huh? Put that year behind us. 2021 is off to, it got off to kind of a rocky start here in the U.S., but things are recently looking up, which is really, really good news for all of this. As far as coronavirus, it looks like there might be an end in sight. There's finally a light at the end of the tunnel. We can see the beautiful goal on the horizon. We just have to continue to wear our mask, social distance. And if you're eligible for a vaccination, Talk with your doctor and consider getting that. Make the choice that's best for you and your family. But don't forget about self-care, which is what we're diving into on today's episode. I actually have my friend Bryce Reddy, who is an LMHC, a licensed mental health counselor and she's actually right here in Massachusetts with me. We're going to be talking about connecting to yourself and your partner and your pre-motherhood self by way of self-care. And I know self-care can get a bad rap because a lot of times what comes to mind are expensive spa days or whisking away to the mountains or the beach with your girls for a girl's trip, which often seems absolutely impossible. But Bryce and I are going to break it down to simple tasks that you can actually implement in your everyday life. We're going to talk to you about easy and free ways that you can help keep yourself grounded throughout the day and keep yourself connected to, well, yourself. Now, Bryce and I actually got connected um, via an entrepreneur's group that we were both in. But if you don't follow her on Instagram, before we were in the entrepreneur's group together, 
I actually followed her on Instagram and had drooled and oogled and ogled over her Instagram for many, many months. You can find Bryce at mombrain.therapist on Instagram. She talks a lot about her mom's temper toolkit. This is Bryce's way of helping you, again, stay grounded and manage your own emotions so that you can show up as your best self for your kids and your family. I'm so, so excited to talk about the stressors and the traumas that have come from 2020 and how we can start out this new year in a grounded way refining ourselves, reclaiming ourselves, and making sure that we are showing up as the best versions of ourselves for our family. All right, guys, get ready because this conversation is a good one. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for coming on. I think this is going to be a conversation that so many people probably don't know they need to have because everyone is just in this survival mode, right? We're just in, all right, let's get it done. Let's get through it. Let's make it to the end. But nobody's actually stopped to think about, well, how has this affected us? And are there any things that we can do to make this a little easier? So before we dive into isolation and parenthood and motherhood and COVID and the impacts on everyone being at home, who are we talking to kind of behind, you know, the professional facade? Who is Bryce Reddy? All right. Oh my God. That's kind of a deep question, right? So I am a mental health therapist. I specialize in maternal mental health and you might know me from my Instagram handle where I um, post as mom brain therapist. I am, I have been able to kind of turn my private practice, which I used to see 40 people a week. And now I get to talk to, you know, thousands of women every single day, which has been one of the most like amazing privileges ever. And I just have really just loved connecting with mothers around the world. And in my home, I live on Cape Cod in Massachusetts and I have two little kids. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old who I worked really hard to get. I went through infertility and struggles with loss. And I'm just super grateful to be a mom and get to be a part of other moms' lives every single day. So I'm excited to be here. How beautiful. I love it. Yes, I can. I totally resonate with your comment about, you know, you used to see 40 people a week and now you get to talk to thousands. I feel so honored and privileged to be able to hold this space that I hold on social media and in the birth lounge with people on their pregnancy journey because it's such a special place in life and they've trusted me. And yeah. for some of those people, we're strangers, right? They just yeah. found us on social media and they trust us to be part of the story. So like you, I'm super honored. Yeah, All right. Amazing. I want to... I want to start off kind of heavy and I promise if you stay with us listeners, we will lighten it back up. But one of the things in, in parenthood, particularly motherhood and particularly those first few months after having a baby is the heaviness of isolation, right? Mm -hmm. You are learning this new human. You're learning your new role. You're learning you as a new person, because when you have a baby, you actually are reborn yourself as a human. There is this, there is this time, these, these few months, these few weeks after birth that 
you're just trying to kind of find some stable ground again. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that may look like? How can we prepare ourselves before your baby gets here? And then what are some signs and symptoms that we're looking for of if something is maybe not quote unquote normal or what we expect those first few weeks after a baby to look like? What are some red flags? Okay. So, you know, I think, I don't know if there is a way to prepare for kind of going into the new motherhood, right? I mean, as someone who worked with families, I felt like, I was like, oh, how hard could this be, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to get a kid and come home. It's going to be fine. But it, it, like you said, it is a complete, you know, shakeup. It's like someone put the cover on our lives and like shook it up like a little box and was like, all right, like, here you go now. This is what it looks like. And you have a crying baby and you have, you know, if you're maybe you're breastfeeding and your body looks different and feels different and your relationship dynamic feels different. And there's just, like you said, that unstable ground. And I was just like to remind people like going into it, you know, that to release those expectations of how you think it's supposed to be. You know, I think like we imagine we're going to go in and we're going to have this beautiful baby and we're just going to snuggle it all day long. And it's going to be the happiest time in our lives, which is what people kind of tell us. And which is like the language people use. And then when we don't experience that, we are like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my baby? Like, why is this happening? Is this, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for this. And it can kind of open up all of these difficult thoughts and, you know, I think that being, having setting more realistic expectations as a society and as kind of a, a motherhood cohort that we are, you know, is the, is the best thing I think we can do is talking about the realities of it. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about realistic expectations, like what? So what comes to my mind is let go of any expectations of a schedule. If you think you're going to bring your baby home and you guys are just going to get on a schedule, I don't want to tell you it's not going to happen because, hey, you can do whatever you want. I'm telling you it's going to be really challenging and that babies don't typically get on a schedule right after birth. What are some things that you, that you mean by setting healthy, realistic expectations? Yeah. So I always like to remind people, like you might not feel madly in love with your baby right away. You or baby might like come out and you're going to be like, oh, it's a baby, you know, like nice to meet you. And, but it's a stranger, right? You know, I mean, like we have been led to believe that we're going to have this love at first sight moment and it might take a while. I know in my life, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be telling like my personal stories, but my son was born unexpectedly at 35 weeks out of town at when my water broke at my baby shower. And it was such a whirlwind. We ended up spending a week in the NICU and he cried literally 24 seven for months. And I, I liked him. <laughs> like, I was like, Oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> like, I love you. But I wasn't like, Oh, this is just magical and wonderful. Like, I'm happy to take care of you, baby. But I'm not, you know, I this is really overwhelming for me. And I felt really bad about that, you know, so I think also setting, you know, we might not fall in love with our babies right away. But like, we also this might also not be the happiest time of your life, you know, that setting expectations for how we feel in new motherhood as well, where there is that expectation, like good moms feel like, oh, this is like the best thing that's ever happened to me or, you know, which you may eventually feel that. But at first there's your life is in such tumult and like shift, you know, you know, change that you're, it's hard to feel those things some days and it's okay if you don't. 
Absolutely. So let's, let's dive into that guilt of having those thoughts about like, wow, this baby is getting on my nerves or, oh my God, I just, I love this baby so much. I just wish they would shut up. I can't handle them crying anymore. And then you immediately feel guilt. You're immediately like, oh my God, I am a bad mom. Who else has these thoughts? Probably nobody. No other mom thinks this way. Something is wrong with me, but that's not true. Almost all moms probably think that. I think at some point, all moms have said, I wish this baby would just shut up. How do we reconcile these thoughts in our head? And then also, um, you know, find the comfort in knowing that nothing is wrong with you. And these are typical thoughts. And it actually doesn't mean that you're a bad mom. It just means, surprise, you're human. You're human. And this is hard, you know? And I think that like, allowing those feelings without guilt and shame of saying, you know, this is okay. You know, like this is what, where my life is right now. And it is really hard. And I can ask for help when I'm feeling like I'm at a breaking point or I'm feeling really overwhelmed and taking it day by day, you know, that there is this kind of, when we're in a hard place, we can feel like this is, this is hard. And it's always going to be this hard but really reining it back in and saying like, this is hard today, or this is hard right now. And what can I do to make myself feel, make this feel a little bit easier? Can I hand off the baby for an hour and go lay on the couch and just like zone out and stare at my phone or take a nap or whatever it is I want to do or take a shower and being open to feeling those feelings and also knowing like when to ask for help and when to seek relief from them. If you can, not everyone has that choice. Yeah. So just yesterday I was talking to a second time mom um, and, and she said, he, he, I have to tell you the perspective that changed with the second baby. And I said, okay. And she said, this first baby, when I had my first baby, I remember being in the middle of the night being like, oh my God, this is never going to end. I'm never going to sleep again. I'm never going to not have my boob in someone's mouth. Like I, this is just, it feels like forever. She said, now my baby, my second baby is almost a month old and I'm wondering where the heck the time went. She said Mm. in that first baby, it's so hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And she said, but if you can remind yourself that it is very short lived and it is temporary and it will come to an end, it always makes it so much easier. So Mm. let's, um, let's dive into asking for help. You touched on, you know, tapping out when you are, when things get too much. You touched on handing your baby off for an hour. If you have, uh, you know, that opportunity, sometimes it comes down to, yeah, we have those opportunities and we have the people in our life to help with our baby. But we, as a parent, as a person struggle to either ask for help or accept help, mm-hmm. help us work through that. What, what, what can we do? Cause you can't do it all by, I mean, you can, it's so much easier and it's better on you as a person. If you'll let your village help you, that's what they're there for. Right. And I think there can be, you know, going back to that mindset we were talking about before and those expectations and shoulds that we get kind of caught up with, you know, I should be able to do this on my own. I shouldn't have to ask for help. I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't need a break. I should just be loving every moment. Right. But And then we kind of get wrapped up in that and the guilt that might come with that. But I think turning those shoulds around and, you know, someone once told me, you know, what if I replace my shoulds with coulds, you know, like I could sit here and be with the baby 24 hours a day 
you know, and drive myself like up the wall thinking like, this is really, I need a break. Or like, I could say here, you know, partner or, you know, call up somebody or put the baby in her little like bouncy seat all buckled up and take a shower, you know, like that there are to recognize that asking for help is a skill. And the more we practice it, the easier it gets to ask and receive, you know, which I think those two go hand in hand. Sometimes we could ask and it's hard for us to actually like follow up on. (laughs) So, and, and allow it to happen. But I think the more we practice it and allow it to happen, that's, you know, what we really have to be working for. So I know a lot of people are are sitting there thinking like, yeah, Bryce and he, he, this is all fine and dandy and great pre COVID, but I haven't seen another human outside of my partner, outside of my home for the last 10 and a half months. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of impacts have you been seeing from COVID and coronavirus and, you know, this pandemic and how it's affected isolation and new parenthood? I mean, I know I've seen it impact things pretty deeply. Grandparents mm-hmm. haven't seen their grandbabies, their Perfect. firstborn grandbabies, right? And and those grandbabies are turning six, seven, eight months old. It's, it's um, you know, families that aren't able to travel for their babies first Thanksgiving, Christmases, Hanukkah. Like it's, it's you know, little cousins not being able to meet. Mm-hmm. What have you been seeing and, and what kind of advice do you have for us on that? Cause it's hard out there right now. It's so hard, you know, and I think so many of our resources that we might've had, you know, when I've gave birth three and six years ago, you know, we would go to the library or we would go to a breastfeeding class or, you know, we would have all of these other opportunities. We would go roam around the store. <laughs> you know, I remember I used to take my daughter and like her sling to home goods, like just when I knew I need to get out and see other human beings. And, and that isn't possible right now. Right. You know, that maybe, maybe, depending on people's comfort level, they can maybe go to like the grocery store, but who knows, you know? So I think it is having a huge impact on people, like you said, and, and going back to like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. We were supposed to be welcomed home by grandparents. We were supposed to have people coming by and dropping off food and holding the baby so I could take a shower. And, you know, I think there's grief in that, you know, that this isn't what it was supposed to look like. And, you know, obviously we can't change that right now as where I can't magically allow certain things to happen. So, you know, going back to the, like, we're allowed to grieve this process. We're allowed to grieve what this looks like right now and find a way through it. Totally. And it can be totally toxic to go so far on the other end of the spectrum, right? To say, but I should be grateful for this. So I can't feel sad, or I should be happy that I have a healthy baby. So I am not allowed to feel like my birth didn't turn out like it was supposed to. I'm not allowed to feel like motherhood is hard because so many people don't have babies. And and I do. Can we talk about the toxicity of that kind of thinking and maybe how we can reconcile, reconcile those two? And how do you find that happy medium of I am allowed to be grateful and I'm also allowed to be sad and to miss my old life and to, you know, wish my baby was a little older. So they were a little bit more independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we think of that, like what we call comparative suffering, you know, where we're like, oh, I feel really awful. And then I'm like, oh, well that person has it worse or this person has it worse. And, you know, I shouldn't be feeling like this and really trying to rein that back in because, you know, that comparison, you know, just 
fuels all that other like guilt and shame that we don't necessarily, isn't very helpful. Right. So really being able to just, like you said, sit in that grief and say, you know, this is sad. (laughs) This is a loss. This is a loss for what, and this is, you know, this loss isn't just for the pandemic. It also might be my baby was born premature and our newborn days were spent in the NICU, you know, or this baby, um, was born and my marriage isn't, you know, doing very well, or I've, you know, separated from my partner or the baby's parent, other parent, you know, that there is grief when things don't look like the picture we imagined in our minds and we're allowed to feel that and grieve it. And that's really the only way through it is, you know, and that can come with like even just thinking about it or journaling about it and really settling into acknowledge the impact that that's having on you. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you hit on partners a lot right there. So what about being stuck with our partners at home all the time? I mean, we love them. We obviously chose them, but I don't think anybody chose their partner even that they would spend 24 hours a day for, you know, oh, a whole year with them in one square house. So what, um, I guess, what kind of trends are you seeing in mental health when it comes to relationships and partners? And then also, what kind of tips do you have for us in navigating, maybe breaking down the household, um, you know, the things that make your household go and run or um, breaking down the responsibilities that it that are required to have children? And how do we do this now that there's no departure in the morning and reunion in the afternoon and we kind of wake up and we work and we live and we go back to bed all in the same house with the same people and maybe on rainy days or really snowy days no one even got outside that day so you've truly been with these other humans all day long help is really the only thing that comes to my mind Well, I think we have to acknowledge that we've been tasked with an extraordinary circumstance. Like this is not normal. And I never want to normalize this, you know, circumstance that we've all been kind of thrown into. We are all in a survival state right now that we're just figuring out as we go along. I mean, I've worked from home normally, but like I've never worked from home like this. And, you know, I'm used to my husband traveling for work, usually one, at least one month or one week a month. And, you know, now he works in our home office. Like 24 hours, he's always here, right? So there's a lot of adjusting that happens. And even for our kids, you know, we have to think and or even little babies, right? The rhythm of our lives has totally been shifted. Like you said, you know, there are no departures and coming homes. And I think finding our new ways to function within this role has been, it's been a process. And we all are going to be finding that it's going to look unique to all of us, you know, and it's very easy, I think, to slip into roles where one person goes to work all day as if it's normal to just go to work all day and leave this other person to do their task, like as if it is normal life. And it's not. So we need to kind of say, be able to identify when something isn't working for us and opening up that conversation, which isn't always easy to have in person. And I know I've had to have these conversations over the last few, few months, right. You know, like you, it's not, you can't just disappear for eight hours. Like you're going to have to come back at some point. Like we can't go to the park or we can't go to the store and asking for help in those moments or in communicating to your partner that you don't want to always have to ask, like you need to identify the times when you're going to be able to come and maybe 
take over a certain task so I can do blank, you know, that there has to be some give and take here. And, you know, I think just being open to these conversations is what we need. Yeah. Being flexible, right. Being able to see like exactly what you said, this is not normal times. Like it's you, you can't pretend to leave at eight and, and pretend to come home at five, but really you were literally in the next room (laughs) like that. Like you're not leaving and coming. We're all in the same household. So we have to be flexible. Um, Okay. Question about, question about the babies that you just mentioned. Are we seeing slash what are your concerns with babies only being around their parents for maybe the first year of their life? Are we concerned about social skills? Are we concerned about stranger danger being extended? Are we concerned about, um, you know, young children not knowing other primary caregivers or I guess not primary, but other caregivers in their life like aunts, uncles, nannies, daycare workers, Mm -hmm. grandparents, neighbors, things like that. What are your thoughts on COVID and how it's impacting the social skills and the mental health of our youngest, tiniest humans? Which is something we don't consider, right? We never look at a baby and go, oh, their mental health. But it's true. They have mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think there, we have to remember that their mental health is closely related to their parents' mental health, right? So, you know, I think that we have this, you know, we focusing on the parents, right? Which is, you know, the parents are, I feel like in a lot of ways have been left behind in this pandemic, you know, like that there is a, I don't want to say a lack of understanding, but maybe a lack of, well, I'll go with lack of understanding of like kind of what parents are going through. You know, it's very easy to kind of look at from employer's lens and not under, quite get how, how intensely parents' lives have been, especially parents of young children have been toppled upside down. I mean, we're missing our caregivers. We're missing our families. We're grieving how things were supposed to be. And we're taking care of children 24 hours a day where we used to have these other providers available to us. And, you know, I think that the more we can kind of focus on and support parents and develop these flexible, maybe works at more flexible work situations or supporting them in just, I'm not even sure other ways, you know, that we can foster the the mental health of the children and the babies involved. You know, I think that there has been some, um, they're starting to look closer at the research for how this is impacting babies and small children. But I always like to go back that babies and kids are so resilient, you know, like, I think we can get really focused and like, oh, this is ruining their lives and like all these horrible things. And I think, you know, there is some stress involved, of course, for little kids. And I've seen it even in my own kids when this all first started, but now 10 months in, like they're, focus, they're doing pretty well. You know, they wear masks to school and like, they don't seem bothered by it at all. And, you know, they talk to their grandparents on zoom, which isn't the same, of course, but like, they're still connected in some way. And, you know, really, I think focusing on the resilience of our kids is, is the best we can do, you know, that, you know, and really tuning into ourselves and taking care of our own mental health so that we can provide a safe and you know, grounded place for our kids to be living within because they are looking to us to, for safety, you know, and the more that we can help ourselves feel safe, help ourselves feel grounded, the more we can provide that for our kids and our babies. I agree. I, I love that you point out, you know, 
just as a society and definitely as a nation and certainly as employers, this um, not being able to understand the demands and the strains on parents, I think has been highlighted so much from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I was recently reading... um, Oh gosh, I don't even remember what I was reading, maybe an NPR article. And it was talking about that over half the parents who have quit, not been laid off, but quit their jobs due to having to stay home for children with children are women, right? Over half are women. I I think probably no one is surprised by that number, but it is, um, I don't even want to say it's like a welcome reminder. It's like an ugly reminder of how much primary parents do that's invisible. So can we talk about the invisible load that parents take, uh, primary parents usually Mm -hmm. carry within the home? Because I think there's a lot of things that as a secondary parent or the not primary parent, you may not realize goes on behind the scenes. And I have a little tip I'll I'll share with you at the end on how you can, can actually get control on, you know, what all goes on with your household. But chat with us. What about the invisible labor of a primary parent? There's so much that goes into it. I just did a post yesterday on decision fatigue and you know, that there is, there's a statistic that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. And, um, cause our, we have micro decisions. It's not all just like, Oh, which car seat should I buy? But it's also like, do I want to let them turn the TV on now? Or do I want to make them play? Or do I want to, you know, serve cereal or should I make them waffles? Like, you know, that we're always making all of these decisions all day long, which is one specific underrated, you know, task that we're in charge of, but there's also so much more, you know, there is planning and scheduling. There is, um, making sure the house runs, you know, making sure the bills get paid and making sure that we schedule, um, certain deliveries and we make sure that we have diapers and toilet paper. And, you know, that there are all of these running tasks that the primary caregiver is often responsible for that does go unseen, right? Whether the other, depending on how often the other parent is around or what they're in charge of. And, um, you can't underestimate the weight of that, right? That there is the mental strain that can kind of come from always trying to balance all of these balls in the air, all these plates in the air. And it's, it's, it can be a lot to, to focus on and to constantly be um, providing for everyone around you. Yes. Oh my gosh. And you talking about having all your balls in the air. I don't remember where I learned this, um, but I, I heard one time that some of your balls are made of plastic. Mm -hmm. Some of them are made of rubber and some of them are made of glass, meaning the glass ones, when they fall, they will break and shatter. The rubber ones will be able to bounce right back and your plastic ones will fall and wait for you to pick them back up. They're not going to bounce, but they also don't break. And it's your job to determine which ones are plastic, which ones are rubber and which ones are glass. And then you prioritize the glass ones, right? And those are the ones that you don't let fall no matter what, because they will break and shatter. Okay. So my tip for everybody, my hot tip, you guys, he he's hot tip. (laughs) 
is um, make a mother load list. So mother load, meaning like this is literally the mother load of everything that has to go into your home. But also little play on words, you know how punny I am. Um, it's the, the mother load. It's the load of the mother, which I know kind of gendered terms there, gendered language there, but make a mother load list, write down every single thing that has to happen in your home. And this includes dusting the baseboards once a month. This includes making those six month appointments for your baby. This includes yep. getting your dog to the vet once a year. Don't leave off what you consider like the small task or the one-time task that happened just yep. once a year for your annual physical. These are things that need to happen. And that is how I think you can really show your partner, especially if they are somewhat removed from your actual running of your household, this is a great way to show them in black and white on paper, look, this is everything that has to happen to continue to have the house that we have and, and it running in the way that it runs. Here is what I'm doing. It's all in red. Here's what you are doing written in blue. And a lot of times you can see the discrepancies and how uneven things are. Um, I also think that most partners who are not primary parents, they don't know you guys. They have no clue that so much goes on behind the scenes. And so to sit them down and to say, look, this is what it takes to run our house. And here's where I need some help. Most of the time, they're super duper receptive. I think so too. You know, I think we've all been socialized to fit into certain roles within our families, you know, and certain stuff was taken care of by one parent and certain stuff was taken care of by another parent. And it was invisible because it was just done and nobody talked about it. Right. You know, that we're in a new generation now, a new time where it has to be talked about because our families look different. Quite often there are two primary, you know, workers or not two primary workers, two workers within the family, within the parent relationship. Right. And so the primary caretaker might have a whole lot more responsibilities than just the home. And they might have a business or they might have a, a high powered job or they might have, you know, even just a side hustle, you know, to make ends meet financially, you know, that there is so much more that's going into these relationships as we kind of move through time and these kind of norms norms have to shift as well, but they haven't because, you know, that's just what happens. We've been socialized to just take on certain roles, but I like how you said your tip, right? That just putting it in black and white sometimes, you know, every few weeks I have to switch out all of my old clothes or all the baby's old clothes and donate them and, or pass them on to somebody else or, you know, figure out if we need to store them for another baby. Like that's work. Those are all those decisions that we're making each day. And we need, if we need somebody else to take on those tasks, we need to, you know, have them be aware that those tasks even exist, which is why I like your, your method. I mean, how many of us do tasks that we don't realize exist? I'll tell you what. So Nicholas and I don't have children, right? And and so there is no primary caregiver. We we have a beautiful little fur baby. Um, and we, I mean, co-parent very easily for that. It's just a dog, right? But when I'm called away for a birth, that is such a highlighter in our relationship because typically I'm leaving for a birth and I'm also texting him a big old bulleted list of things that needs to be done either the rest of that day or sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours where I may not be home to do it, mm -hmm. right? And it, we're lucky that we don't have children during this pandemic. And so all of our tasks are pretty easy to 
mm-hmm. you know, to, to check off. And, and our tasks can be very easily done by either one of us. However, um, that's, that's not always the case when, when there are our kiddos involved. Very true. Very true. You know, that there is just so much that goes into everyday life that isn't always visible, hence the invisible mother load, right? That we so often talk about. And I think some of that is coming, you know, one, I don't want to say one benefit of this pandemic, but I think being home together all the time might be opening eyes to that, or might be forcing these conversations to happen when they might not previously have been going on. And I know not everyone's home. I mean, there are people driving UPS trucks and working at the grocery store and delivering our mail and doing all sorts of things still out in the world every day. But for a lot of families, we are just, we're our home more. We are home more with our families and we are in, you know, cause and effect going to be seeing a lot more of this work as it gets done, you know, and having those frustrations rise enough to verbalize our, our need for some more support. So there is some, you know, I think, it's forcing some conversations to happen. Totally. So on the opposite end of that spectrum, I think it's forced a lot of tensions to rise too in in homes. So can you talk to us about um, our temper as parents and our temper as um, maybe two grown adults in one home that, that need to coexist and get along because there are young children. If we've reached a place in our relationship where things are really tense and, and the tension is kind of high because of coronavirus, any tips on how to move past this? My tip is always to start with the conversation. You, you can't accomplish anything without bringing it to your partner's attention and saying, look, I'm really at my wits end. I, I, we've got to figure something out because this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. What other things can we do as a couple? or as co-parents. Yeah. And I like that idea too, of, you know, of having those conversations. And I think there can be sometimes a lot of pressure to having a verbal conversation. You know, one thing I often recommend to parents is to even just like text each other, you know, to initiate that way to take the pressure off. Cause when we do it in person, it's very easy to be like, but I do this and da, 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 like to get very reactive. Right. Cause we feel attacked or we feel threatened by, you know, what's coming at us if we're not in kind of a very regulated place. And sometimes doing it over text messages, which is something my husband and I do all the time is if I have something that's on my mind, I usually text it to him first and say like, this is something that's up for me. Like you need to think about this. And then like, we can talk about it later, you know, cause, and also because we're like never alone <laughs> together, you know, like, unless it's like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. So it's, you know, there is finding these workarounds too, you know, of being able to open and start facilitating these conversations. Um, and I'm trying to remember where we were going with this, but like the, um, you know, that there, these conversations have to happen and tensions are rising, like you said, and of course they're rising because we're all under severe stress, you know, and we have a lot of whole lot of unmet needs for alone time and personal space and seeing our friends and um, taking care of ourselves by going, maybe going to the gym or going on walks or, you know, that tensions are of course high right now, you know, and to be able to sit with that and bring back our self-care to being super, super basic and prioritizing that with our partner on both ends of the spectrum saying like, do you need a break right now? Like you seem like you're getting riled up with the kids or you seem like you're super sensitive, super impatient right now. Like, do you want to go walk the dog while I'll take care of dinner tonight? You know, you do this. So acknowledging that these, this tension is, is going to happen. And of course we're not talking like 
super severe, like tension, like divorce type stuff, or, you know, like that stuff requires a lot more support from a clinician if you need it, but, you know, but really acknowledging that we're in survival state right now, taking our self-care back to super, super basic stuff, like making sure you're getting showers and getting clean clothes on each day and getting out for a walk by yourself. Maybe if you have, if it's possible for 15 minutes or even just a drive to go get drive through coffee or whatever, you know, just acknowledging we're in a tough spot. We both need to kind of focus on our self-care and calling each other out on that. You know, like you look like you need like a break or, you know, I need this right now. And acknowledging those unmet needs that are kind of really deep right now. So what about on the opposite end of the spectrum of, okay, I'm really missing my partner. I'm really missing our time having sex. I'm really missing our time alone without the children. And we haven't had time without our kids in 10 and a half months, you know, like Mm -hmm. what about those couples? How did they rekindle that and get their, I mean, date nights aren't happening really, you know, how do you get your partner time in where you can keep that connection with your partner when everyone's at home? Everyone is at home. Yeah. Someone actually just posted something about this the other day. I wish I could remember what it was. I'll send you the, the post on from Instagram later. But, you know, I always talk about at-home dates, you know, maybe after the kids go to sleep, like watching a show together, putting your phones down, turning your phones off, you know, because I think that that can be a real area where we think we're spending time with someone, but we're also like scrolling Instagram or Facebook or reading the news. And we're just like, we're physically next to each other, but we're not connected on something. So I always recommend just even something super simple like that, like sitting on the couch with your phones off together or watching a show or sometimes reading the same book as one another and being able to say like, Oh, did you read this part? Like finding those little things that we can do to maintain that connection. And maybe that's having, sending each other little notes and text messages, even though you're in the same house, like, Oh, I love you. Do you remember this trip we went on before and send a little snapshot of it? You know, that it's very easy to, like you said, just have our blinders on and be focused and plowing ahead when we have kids around us 24 hours a day and we're living in the midst of a pandemic. But finding those little moments to connect as, as your couplehood, right? You know, of being, you, you know, you're my person and I want to spend time with you. And even if it's only 15 or, you know, 20 minutes or an hour, finding those moments to connect. I love that. And, and, you know, hot tip for you guys, doom scrolling will kill your libido. So if you are trying to spend some time with your partner, yet you are doom scrolling over all the really bad things that have happened in 2020, Mm -hmm. all you're doing is killing your libido. You guys put your phone down, turn it off, look into your partner's eyes, give them a really deep kiss and, and really try and connect. All right, Bryce, I promise we would pick up the energy. I promise we would leave on a happy note. So Let's talk about as this pandemic comes to a close, whenever that may be, and we start to get back out into life. I think so many people have not even begun to think about that. So I would like to get people's wheels turning. What should we know as humans about getting back out into the real world after being, you know, quarantined for a year plus, it's going to feel overwhelming. I imagine that a lot of us are going to be extra fatigued because we're going to be going, going, going. I think there might be this 
invisible like weight slash obligation slash guilt if you don't do it to attend everything and see everybody and say yes to everything because we feel this deprivation that has you know kind of happened over the last year what do you think people should know about getting back out into the real world slowly but also protecting our mental health when all of this is over Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be some anxiety around it. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, it's hard to unsee what we've seen, you know, and we've been kind of thrown into this trauma situation where we have changed everything about how we view the world. I mean, like we're literally walking around in masks and, you know, standing six feet away from each other, you know, it's changed everything for how we are relating. I mean, I know it's different around the world, but I know where I am, you know, we stand six feet apart at the bus stop. My, we all wear our masks. We have to wear masks walking around, you know, outside walking our dogs and stuff, you know, that we can't, it's, it's not going to be that easy to just like snap our fingers and say like, it's all over. Let's forget about it. I mean, we're going to live with this and as will our children you know, this shift in how we're viewing the world and how we're engaging with the world. And I think that it's going to be unique to each of us, how comfortable we feel journeying back out. You know, some people might want to wear that, keep wearing their masks or, you know, just not know, or how we stand still stands far apart from people or be hesitant to hug someone, you know, that we're each going to have to take this at our own comfort level and really just kind of tuning in and keeping those you know, blinders on saying like, okay, I have the information I have, and I'm going to do what's best for me as a person. And that person is going to do what's best for them as a person. And that person is going to do what's best for them as a person. And, you know, really just acknowledging that, acknowledging your comfort level to level, tuning into your values, tuning into, you know, your feelings as to what it feels like, feels like to go back to some so-called normal, Yeah, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be hard, but I think that is a great place to wrap up our conversation is that, you know, what's best for you doesn't have to be best for your neighbor or your sister or um, the person in the grocery store that's standing behind you in line, right? You get to choose what's best for you and your family and, and, um, you know, you, you have to respect what other people choose for, for themselves and and their families as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, Bryce, this has been such a good conversation. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us. Okay, before I let you go, I really want you to tell people about your Temper Toolbox and um, tell people who might need this, why you might need this, what it helps you with. I really want um, people to hear about this. Of course. So I talk a lot on my Instagram and on my social media channels about anger and motherhood. And I developed something called mom's temper toolkit because I was having so many moms come to me asking for help with yelling and losing their patience and wanting to break these cycles of anger that maybe they lived with is when they were children and that they want to do things differently for their children. So I made this little mini course. It's really, it's inexpensive, fairly inexpensive at $27. And people, it's five modules and you just learn a little bit about how you, what anger looks like, how we cycle through it, where our anger patterns come from, and some tips and strategies for breaking the cycle of doing what we may always might be 
frequently doing now, right? Whether that's yelling or shouting or, you know, getting really riled up and agitated and learning how to kind of slow down these processes and find a different path forward. And also, I also touch on, um, repairing with our kids after anger episodes as well. So learning how to apologize and learning how to keep their mental health intact and, and model for them what it looks like to have a healthy relationship that does, of course, comes with its ups and downs, just like any other relationships that we have. So really just kind of the full, you know, cycle of understanding your anger, learning tips and strategies, and acknowledging that you're still a human being and you're going to occasionally lose your temper, no matter how much I teach you, right? <laughs> that it's just a normal part of parenthood and life and relationships. And, and we can, that's okay. <laughs> so that's that. Yeah. So it's a great course. I've had a lot of people go through it and, um, lots of quick, easy strategies to get you started on maintaining your temper of peaceful parenting. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. So I think kind of the, um, you know, un, unforeseen, not intentional theme here of this podcast is that you're human and your baby is human and two humans are never going to get along 100% of the time, every single day for their whole entire life. And so it's okay to separate your feelings from your baby and to say, you know what, I'm allowed to feel annoyed with my baby and I'm, I'm still a good mom. And those two can coexist and they do coexist. And I am able to own both of those. Bryce, if anybody was um, interested in connecting with you or something you said really spoke to their heart and they wanted to reach out with you, how can people connect with you and follow along and continue to either work with you or learn from you? Sure. You can find me on mombrain.therapist on Instagram and Facebook, and you can always DM me there. And I love having conversations with people and connecting with this big wide world out there. So I'd love to hear from you if you feel so inclined. I love it so much. I'll tell you guys, Mom Rain Therapist is one of my favorite IGs out there. Um, Bryce also does this community question thing once a week and um, people can submit questions and then she'll give you all the resources there. Um, I That's probably one of my favorite things that you do on your, your Instagram, Bryce. So oh, thank awesome. you so much for being here. I appreciate it. For our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that this started out a little heavy and I know um, that it was probably a conversation that a lot of us needed to have and we've been either skirting around it or completely avoiding it. So I appreciate you joining our conversation and showing up for yourself and for Bryce and I today. All right, awesome. guys, happy Tuesday. I will see you again on Friday for another Friday free talk. Until then, toodaloo. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.
Hey there. Just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.